This is the sixth day of this June 2019 seven-day session. We'll take up a koan today. This is from the Mumon Khan, number seven, Joshu's Washer Bowl. Uh, well, um, first, uh, the case. A monk said to Joshu, I have just entered this monastery. I beg you to teach me. Joshu asked, Have you eaten your rice gruel? I have, replied the monk. Then said Joshu, Go and wash your bowl. The monk had an insight. Joshu is the I mean, number one in the Koan Hall of Fame. He's, uh, it appears in more koans than anyone else. Uh, I'll read some biographical material here on him. He was... Uh, born in the late 8th century and, and died in the still later 9th century. Uh, he's said to have lived to be 120. I'm reading here from Zen's Chinese Heritage uh, by Andy Ferguson. says he he received his first awakening at the age of 18. Uh, He was ordained as a monk, uh, and he trained under the great Nan Xuan, Nansen, until that teacher died. And then he set out traveling about to... uh, deepen his practice and engage in Dharma combat with other teachers. His fame spread throughout China. He had 13 Dharma heirs, but his lineage soon died out. According to the records, uh, his first awakening, yes, was at 18, and uh, it was he was 56 before uh, he had uh, full awakening, and only then did he set out um, on this this quest. And then he only began teaching at the age of 80. He began teaching at the age of 80. There's this. Uh, story of his re- meeting his teacher when he was still very young. Uh, he came upon, came to the monastery of Nanshuan, uh, who was lying down and resting. This was hard for me to picture. Here comes this newcomer, and somehow he finds his way to Nanshuan lying down and resting. So either he made his way into his private quarters, or Nanshuan was lying down resting out in the ground somewhere, which seems more likely. 
And uh, Nanshuan asked him, where have you come from? Uh, Zhao Zhou said, I've come from Ruzhang. And the, the, the Ruzhang means omen figure, omen figure. Uh, did you see the standing omens figure? No, but I've seen a reclining Tathagata. In other words, you, seeing this reclining Buddha. So that got Nanshuan to his feet. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, I see you're a novice monk. Do you have a teacher or not? And Zhao Zhou replied, yes, I have a teacher. Nanshuan, Nanshuan said, who is your teacher? Zhao Zhou stepped in front of him, bowed, and said, in the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for the master's blessings. In other words, you're my teacher if you'll have me. And Nanshuan approved him and accepted him to the monastery. Of course, Zhao Zhou is the Chinese, the original Chinese name of uh, Zhao Zhou. Uh, Joshu is the Japanese name. I'll try to remember to use Zhao Zhou because it's less difficult to pronounce than some other Chinese uh, names that make me want to do the Japanese version. There's so many dialogues that have been recorded involving Zhao Zhou and, and some of them of, with his teacher, Nanchuan. One of them was Nanchuan uh, said, people of this time must practice among different species. And Zhao Zhou said, aside from different, what do you mean by species? Nanchuan got down on all fours. Zhao Zhou shoved him over with his foot. Then Zhao Zhou went into the infirmary and yelled, Sorry, sorry. Uh, Nanshuan had his attendant ask Zhao Zhou, What are you sorry about? Zhao Zhou said, I'm sorry I didn't kick him again. Zhao Zhou entered the hall and addressed the monk, saying, It's like a lustrous pearl in your hand. If a foreigner comes, a foreigner reveals it. If a Chinese comes, a Chinese reveals it. This old monk uses a blade of grass as a 60-foot golden statue. I also use a 60-foot golden statue as a blade of grass. And he says, 
Buddha is affliction. Affliction is Buddha. So, in, commonly people would, would say, well, there's Buddha nature, and then there are our, our afflictions, our, um, our greed, anger, and delusion. Here he says, Buddha is affliction, affliction is Buddha. A monk said, I don't understand whose house is afflicted by Buddha. Zhao Zhou said, all people are afflicted by Buddha. The monk asked, how can affliction be avoided? Zhao Zhou said, why avoid it? If affliction itself is our Buddha nature, why avoid it? Why fight it? Well, our afflictions cause us pain, but (coughs) uh, fighting them or dodging them, evading them, uh, will not remove the pain. Our afflictions made of thoughts uh, are not to be suppressed uh, nor uh, clung to. One day, Zhao Zhou was sweeping. A monk asked, The master is a great worthy. Why are you sweeping? Zhao Zhou said, Dust comes in from outside. The monk said, It is a pure temple. Why then is there dust? Zhao Zhou said, There's some more. He was uh, known and still known today, hundreds of years later, for his um, brilliant use of words. Uh, They had a saying at the time that when Joshu spoke, light emitted from his lips. One time, Zhao Zhou, after entering the hall, addressed the monks and said, Big mind is unborn. The myriad dharmas are flawless. Try sitting for 20 or 30 years, and if you still don't understand, then cut off my head. The empty flowers of delusion and dreams, disciples work so hard to grab them. Always remember, dharmas in plural means things, phenomena. The myriad dharmas are flawless, impeccable. Dharmas here are empty. All are the primal void.
big mind is unborn, true mind, essential nature is unborn. He continues, when nothing deviates from mind, then the myriad dharmas are but one thusness. Since it can't be attained from outside, what will you try to grasp? You're like goats, haphazardly picking up just anything and keeping it in your mouth. Apparently, there was a pretty strong inclination among monks of the Tang dynasty, this this dynasty, uh, to collect sayings of uh, the masters and uh, recite them. Maybe they were sometimes reciting them uh, as if they were their own words, or not. Uh, learning, learning was uh, highly, highly esteemed in ancient China, as it probably still is somewhat today. And it was uh, a way of, of kind of, of uh, displaying one's prowess, one's uh, abilities to be able to quote um, either the masters or the poets or other esteemed uh, gentlemen of affairs, as they sometimes called them. And uh, Zhao Zhou, of course, recognizes that could be very well be a an impediment to practice, and a practice where we're trying to empty the mind so that we can experience the truth directly as it is. You're like goats, haphazardly picking up just anything. He continues, I heard Yao Shan, another great master, say, people ask me to reveal, people ask me to reveal it, but when I teach, it is like something taken from a dog's mouth. That's, that's him quoting Yao Shan. And then Zhao Zhou says, what I teach is like something taken from a dog's mouth. Take what I say as dirty. Don't take what I say as clean. Don't be like a hound always looking for something to eat. Yeah, as a as a teacher who uh, has given many teishos, I can really relate to this. What I teach is like something from a dog's mouth. It's uh, to 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 try to express in words this, this, that we all are, sometimes feels just like that, lame and sullying this.
A monk asked Zhao Zhou, How old is the master? Zhao Zhou said, A long string of pearls without end. He may have forgotten if he lived to be, this is anywhere near 120. <laughs> A long string of pearls without end. The monk asked, Whose dharma did the master inherit? Zhao Zhou said, Kong Shen's. The monk asked, if, seven, if suddenly someone from outside asked the master, what dharma does Zhao Zhou expound, what would you say? This is so Chinese. To, to turn this, to convolute this, so this, it comes out as, as a, in this indirect way. In other words, what he's saying is, what dharma does Zhao Zhou expound? But he says, if suddenly someone from outside asked the master, what dharma does Zhao Zhou expound? What would you say? Zhao Zhou said, the salt is expensive, but the rice is cheap. Now, let's appreciate that. Um, the salt is expensive. If it's anything like in this country, salt is wildly inexpensive. And rice uh, could be something that not everyone could afford. So he just turns it around. The salt is expensive, but the rice is cheap. not all that different when when he when he answered mu he asked does even a dog have the buddha nature mu it's not what you think it's the opposite of what you think whatever it is you think it's the opposite it's got to be <laughs> you could also have said not applicable. You know, that thing you put on application forms, N slash A. <laughs> because any, any thing he answered could be understood as the answer. And there now it's limited. The Dharma is limited. Or the Buddha, the Buddha, very famous words said, not this, not that. Zhao Zhou asked a monk, how many sutras do you read in one day? He may have known that he was very proud of his academic, his scholastic uh, abilities. How many sutras do you read in one day? The monk said, sometimes seven or eight, sometimes ten. Zhao Zhou said, oh, then you can't read sutras. 
The monk said, Master, how many do you read in a day? Zhao Zhou said, In one day, I read one word. This is a very important one in terms of understanding uh, koans and the words of the masters. When he addressed the monks, he said, when a, when a person of understanding speaks a falsehood, the falsehood becomes true. When a, fa- when a person of no understanding speaks a truth, the truth becomes a falsehood. It's not in the words. It's not in the words. It's uh, the understanding or the lack of understanding behind the words. This is why so many of these masters uh, sported with uh, comments from earlier masters where a master uh, uh, maybe was known for when asked, what is Buddha? Uh, for saying this is Basso, saying uh, this very mind is Buddha. And then uh, a master later would say, well, he can say this very mind is Buddha, but actually it's not mind, not Buddha. Sure, pick a side. Flip a coin. It's not in the words. my favorites is where he was asked, Master, where is your mind focused? And he said, where there is no design. There are two ways to understand that. (laughs) Where there is no design could mean the formless. Another one, I suppose, could be uh, where there's no uh, agenda, no grasping, you know, like the old saying, to have designs on someone. And this very short one, a monk asked, what is the principal concern of the one wearing Buddhist robes? Joshua said, not to deceive himself. The the mind is so endlessly complicated and, and, and deceptive so hard to see 
all of the devices that the mind uses to keep us in the dark, to deceive us. This is why practice is a a project of a lifetime, or lifetimes is seen through one veil after another, each step thinking we, we understand, okay, this is it, this is it, and then, oh, no, that wasn't it. This is it. Oh, no. Back to the case. A monk said to Zhao Zhou, I've just entered this monastery. I beg you to teach me. It's a very polite, brand new monk. Got the words down showing the proper respect, the deference to the master. I beg you to teach me. question that, in one form or other, kicks off so many of these these dialogues. Zhao Zhou asked, Have you eaten your rice gruel? Um, I was told by a Chinese scholar that this is a a traditional colloquial Chinese greeting uh, between people who are on familiar terms. Um, it's a rhetorical question. That is, one is one is always expected to answer yes. Have you eaten your rice gruel, or just have you eaten yet? Is another. Uh, version of that. In, uh, in Japan and in China, I'm told, um, uh, uh, rice is seen as the, the, sort of the essence of life. The words for rice and meal are the same. The words for, for life and food are the same. So we can be pretty sure that Zhao Zhou here isn't just making idle conversation with him. Oh, have you eaten yet? He's asking, have you eaten your rice gruel? Take, if we take the character as meaning life, we say it's, it's complete and already served to all of us. No preparation needed. Have you eaten your rice school? I have, replied the monk. Joshu, Zhao Zhou says, then go wash your bowl. And that the monk had an insight. This is the, <clears throat> the teaching of no teaching. 
in uh, most fields of of uh, learning or activity, uh, teaching means more uh, instruction, advice, and conventional. This kind of conventional teaching is is uh, to create a a change in the student to effect a change uh, very often to impart knowledge information and knowledge and skills that's the conventional kind of teaching zen is not conventional the masters are more likely to teach indirectly not explicitly but implicitly go and wash your bowl i'm told it's not uncommon in in uh, japanese temples when a novice arrives uh to, ha- to have the to be told uh okay he just give him, they give him a work assignment. Here, sweep this floor, uh, scrub the toilet. It's not that they're saying, well, um, the teaching will come later, but for now, we need this done, so do this. No. That is it. Sweep the floor. Even at the Zen Center here, we we uh, don't start off, someone who's there for training, we don't start them off with uh, long instructions and this and that. We might give some guidelines, some basic uh, uh, training guidelines, but uh, right from day one, uh, they're, they're um, working in the kitchen and housekeeping, outdoors, there. It's already underway the teaching. The uh, Chinese master Lin Chi, known in Japan as Rinzai, when he asked for, when he was asked what he realized, he said, "When hungry, I eat; when tired, I sleep." Say, when the when the grass gets long enough, we mow it. When the windows get dirty enough, we wash them. There's the Dharma. There's the added element here in this in this koan of the cleaning. Um, Zen practice is really a kind of cleaning of the mind.
Yashitani Roshi used this uh, analogy when he said, one has to get rid of all concepts until nothing remains. Then one has to rid himself of the idea that there is nothing. It's like doing cleaning with a bucket of water. After you've made everything spotless, you need to dispose of the dirty water that remains. We come to understand uh, Zen as a, a kind of a template. It's a, uh, as a teaching of no teaching. Um, it's like in, in uh, those big um, books of uh, paintings, uh, f- photographs, or, or plates, uh, or, or if either art or sometimes uh, scientific uh, books showing diagrams. Uh, and sometimes you have one of these plastic sheets that uh, has some kind of a figure on it, and then you you lay it over, you turn that plastic sheet, and it lies over the something or other and then shows something else. Well, Zen is like a plastic sheet without any diagrams on it. It's, it's, it's something, but nothing. It doesn't add anything. The whole point is to reveal what was already there, but, but we need the plate or the, the plastic sheet to reveal what was already there. <clears throat> sort of like that. This was quite a thrilling uh, little insight for me in my very first sashin. It was a three-day sashin, and uh, I came out um, just um, excited to have seen that uh, there's no such thing as Zen. It's not a thing. Or it's a thing that's nothing. It's a thing that we come to see through doing it, doing this practice. There's something embedded in this dialogue, this koan, uh, that goes beyond anything uh, that I've said so far. But that's for the student uh, to understand and demonstrate in Doksan. Some of these koans are, are really, uh, what you have to do is decode them. They've been written in a kind of code, and then you have to decode them. 
go to the commentary. Zhao Zhou opened his mouth and showed his gallbladder, his heart, and his liver. If the monk, hearing him, failed to grasp the truth, he would mistake a bell for a pot. In other words, Zhao Zhou showed everything. This might be an allusion uh, uh, to uh, Chinese medicine uh, where you, you diagnose with the tongue, you examine the tongue, and the tongue has different uh, parts of it that relate to the different internal organs. Just opening the mouth, everything is revealed. And Mumon here is saying it's all, it's fully revealed. It's all there. It's all here for us. Plain, in plain sight. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. The Buddha is supposed to have said three things cannot be long hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. Let's hope that when the monk uh, went off to wash his bowl, he did so no-mindedly. When he was washing the bowl, he was just washing the bowl. Right there is an opening to realization. Just when we just wash the bowl, it's so much more than washing a bowl. In, a, uh, in another koan in the Mumon Khan, Mumon in the verse says, lifting up, his, lifting up his leg, he kicks up the scented ocean. Lowering his head, he looks down on the four dhyana heavens. Says, he says if the monk, uh, hearing him, failed to grasp the truth, what would, what would prevent him from grasping the truth? Well, a mind with notions in it, ideas, concepts, thoughts, opinions. That's what clogs up the works. Now the verse, Mumon's verse. Because it is so very clear, it takes so long to realize. If you know at once that candlelight is fire, you know the meal has long been cooked. 
again, because it's so very clear, because this this template has no form to it, we don't see it. It takes a long time to see it, to see what isn't there. It's a it's a, a farce when you consider it. Here we are. Um, striving for a place we've never left, trying to do something that we don't need to do. The tongue hasn't moved, but the teaching is finished. Without taking a step, the journey is complete. That has been called a practice of daily losing. We don't need to acquire anything. We've got it all. We've always had it all. Just need to lose to let go of what obstructs our understanding of that, obstructs our being able to um, dip into this well of wisdom, this bottomless well of wisdom. Time is up now. We'll stop and recite the four vows. Beyond measure, I bow 
Thank you.